Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Hello, hello. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Hope that you're healthy and safe wherever you are today. Uh, there was breaking news as I was uh, just finishing up my, my day work, my uh, the things I do for the state. And uh, there was a court ruling, a jury deliberation, where I believe, how many, was it five Oath Keepers were under, oh, you didn't see this yet? Tim, Tim Hogan joined no. my studio. Oh, you don't know this yet. So I don't know it all either yet. But there were uh, five five Oath Keepers that were on trial for uh, for for seditious uh, and conspiracy to overturn an election, to, and then they were also charged with things like impeding officers' ability to do their jobs. I believe that two of them were convicted, three of them were not, but it shows that a jury has an appetite to deliberate on this and to uh, to find people guilty. So hopefully there's there's conversations about hopefully the DOJ and whatever the other invest- investigations this will help with the momentum, the energy to not only uh, follow through to the very highest levels, but also to go after some of these people that were in war rooms the day before, of course, and then people who were in the White House. So you're yeah. catching up with the news right now, Tim? Yeah, it looks yeah. like, too, like we're starting to hear from Capitol Police officers and they're reacting to this. It looks like uh, Harry Dunn, who is a Capitol Police officer, thanked the Justice Department and the jury for the verdicts and said it was emotional and I didn't expect to cry in there. I'm appreciative of the jury and the Justice Department. Thank you for getting justice, not from just me and for my fellow officers, but for the United States. I don't look at this as a victory. Uh, when you just have to do what's right, it's a lot to process. Well, and it's traumatizing for a lot. A lot of the people that were at the Capitol, the police officers who were trying to do their jobs, and presumably by being attacked by people who generally wear the back the blue and, uh, you know, white lives matter and blue lives matter and all those things. And they were the ones that were being attacked the most almost suffocated in some instances that one image of the the video of the police officer who was caught in the revolving doors i'll never oh. forget him begging for his life uh and so i don't know what this uh, impact will have with the january 6th committee which obviously now is that set to be disbanded when the uh, republicans take yeah, we'll the house? See, there's there's been some conversation about maybe that they uh either wrap up their work or that that committee gets transferred over to the senate uh you know I think it's uh, – we'll see, but I think they'll probably wrap up the work. I think so, too. That would be my guess. Because, you know, if you go over to the Senate, you create a whole new committee. What does that look like? You have to go through a negotiating period again. I don't know if you remember Kevin McCarthy went back and forth with Pelosi about whether or not he was going to appoint members. Pelosi said, like, no, we're not going to appoint people on the committee who are election deniers, which is a fair take, you know. And then McCarthy said he wouldn't cooperate, which is how we got, you know, Cheney and Kinzinger. And, um, you know, do we want to do that all over in the Senate again? And who would that be? You know what I mean? Like, are we going to do this in the Judiciary Committee? Are we going to have to listen to, like, Mike Lee and Josh Hawley and Tom Cotton and just, like, the worst of the worst people on this stuff um, to, to go through it again? So uh, my guess would be no. 
I think they wrap it up. Well, and Kevin McCarthy, am I hearing that he doesn't necessarily have all the votes to be the speaker? I don't get there. Yeah, I just like, too. you know, it's... Uh, negotiations. It's, yeah, it's negotiations. And like, look, everybody, uh, he has he has very little breathing room. I think they'll end up with the exact margin that the Democrats had in terms of House advantage um, in, in 2022 that we had in 2020. And the the question is like, okay, if not him, then who? Like, who, who in the world... <laughs> Is that caucus gonna gonna rally around? And like it's a look, yeah, not no one's no one's favorite person here. But I think it's indicative that like Marjorie Taylor Greene can read the tea leaves and be like, no, I'm backing Kevin McCarthy because you know she knows she can extract some concessions from him, and that's what everybody's looking at right now. They right. They, they know that with such small margins, they have a lot of power. And okay, two a couple things. One. Th- I'm guessing there are some moderate uh, Republicans yeah. who are like they want they see themselves as the next Joe Manchin or Sienema. Yeah, yeah. Right. I think it's possible. Uh, you know, we had uh, Don Bacon, he's a congressman from Nebraska, talking about like, oh, maybe we could uh, work with Democrats on X, Y, or Z things. Oh. Again, I think it might be like the, him doing his best Susan Collins impression. Oh, uh, you know, so probably not 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 real. Probably more theater. Uh, but the point being, yes, everybody is going to find a way. To, to to make it about them, <laughs> I would I would believe so. We are in studio with Tim Hogan, the uh, editor in chief. The what was it? the title was something executive editor. Executive. Editor in chief. It was like they're interchangeable. Yeah. yeah. Well, ed- executive. Yeah. I like executive yeah. editor of Heartland Signal. You should follow them on Twitter, as well as visit the HeartlandSignal.com page where you can read all of the work that they do and catch some of the videos where they. They share stories that you might not otherwise see, although we it's a lot of uh, uh, Herschel Walker stuff going on. That's absolutely <laughs> it's, insane. I mean, like, you know, we have this election on December 6th and people are like, is Georgia the heartland? And I'm like, look, it's a loose definition. Right. Um, you know, it could be, uh, depending on how you think about it. But I think there's a lot of focus there, um, A, because, uh, you know. Herschel Walker is Herschel Walker. Uh, but B, rightfully so, also, you know, Senator Warnock is a, is a great senator um, and someone that Democrats are fighting to keep around for good reason. But today we, we had some uh, reporting initially from CNN that we did some follow-up on of, of Herschel Walker at a uh, UGA college Republicans meeting earlier in the year talking about how he's going to run uh, or how he's running for Senate in Georgia. And he says during his speech, look, I live in Texas. I, I live there. <laughs> and uh, yep. I go down to the border sometimes and it's like, okay, so why are you running for Senate in Georgia. And it, that's a follow-up on previous CNN reporting, which is he still claims on some of his, uh, you know, uh, tax forms, primary residence in Texas. Yeah. So, like, How did why that, elect him? Well, why did, didn't that disqualify him? Why? I right. mean, was there not a challenge from... I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know if there's been a uh, challenge to the, uh, to the, I think it would be to the FEC, the Federal Elections Commission, but, uh, you know, if he resides in the state, I think he can run for... Senate, I think, is a question of priority. Like okay. you're just like, oh yeah, I'm here sometimes. I'll, I'll represent you. But yeah, tell, telling everybody he lives in Texas. Well, also saying that uh, maybe people under thirty shouldn't be voting. Yeah. Or if they don't like this country, find some place that they do like. Where, where are we? Got down to this? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I still do believe that I think Warnock is, much, is in a much better position. A because he won, you know, or received more votes in the initial round of the runoff, and historically, uh, the person who gets more of the votes in the first round tends to win in the second round. And two, you know, I think there were a decent amount of people who voted for Brian Kemp, the governor, at the top of the ticket. Right. Uh, 
And also, we're like, all right, I'll vote for Herschel Walker. Maybe the Senate's in control, right? I don't really like Herschel Walker that much, but I'll vote for him because, you know, maybe we flip the Senate. Well, they can't flip the Senate now. And Governor Kemp's not on the ballot now. So Herschel Walker's out there on his own. And I think the value, <laughs> the value proposition of that, even to many Republican voters, is a little diminished. Uh, uh, we'll see. There's nothing more delicious than seeing Lindsey Graham and Ted Cruz flank him when he uses the word erect. It's a very uh, yeah. important I, erection. I, I'm like, <laughs> in comparison to what They both kind of looked at him when he said that, and I was like, uh, okay, let's yeah. just go with it. It was a <laughs> that he misspoke. What else are you guys looking at? What's what are some of the big stories? That- uh, well, you know, out of Chicago, we are seeing that uh, everyone has. Well, we we hit the deadline yesterday of all the mayoral candidates filing their petitions to get on the ballot. Um, so we are we're watching that, and the challenge period uh, begins now. Right. I think it technically ends on December fifth, right? When you can issue new challenges. But what is what is fun about Chicago? And I've watched City So Real. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I, I don't know if you've seen it. The, not, it's a Hulu but... documentary on the 2019 mayoral race. Oh my god, <laughs> I'm so excited! Um, <laughs> it, it is, you know, it is it is wild uh, watching people sit there, challenge each other, getting uh, names of people knocked off the ballot. Um, and so, you know, we're there. Challenges end on December 5th, but they can go on. And uh, at some point, they got to print ballots. Uh, so, you know, right. then then that happens. But uh, we're we're watching the mayoral race very closely. Have you ever seen uh, this sort of process, this ritual of bringing? The petitions uh, to the I have, yes, all of the uh, the the pictures of people with like large stacks of paper. I kind of love it. You, I would just do a signature of page if I was them, you know, like <laughs> just like a ton of paper. Yeah. Or you know, someone show up with a flash drive. I'd probably be the one showing up with a flash drive. Wouldn't be the best visual. So, which reminds me. So I don't know how familiar you are with some of the uh, political reporters in the Chicagoland area mm-hmm. and throughout the state. So Marianne Ahern covers yep. politics NBC. for Channel, yeah, NBC News, and then Shia Capos does Politico, mm-hmm. Illinois, right? And uh, they got into it about because uh, because Marianne Ahern wrote something about how uh, you know didn't like Chewy's stack seemed bigger. I mean, like, oh. this is all about the stacks, right? <laughs> stack size, right? And then uh, she Capos was like, well, may, the mayor, you know, Mayor uh, Lightfoot's stack, she had fifteen signatures per sheet, so it's going to uh. look lighter. And then Marianne Ahern came back with, says who? And she, I'm mean, like, what a weird, was, what a fun place. Yes, she what was like, uh, I saw the ballot, I saw the petitions. Yeah, so it was, it's yeah. just insane. But uh, we—it is a big rich. I, I never, I never paid much attention to it. Until you had to I, gather signatures, didn't you? Yes. Until yeah. so, I, I turned five hundred. I had to turn in five hundred. I turned in. We stopped counting at twenty four hundred. So okay. my husband would go to the board of elections. You felt safe at that point. Did you get yeah. challenged? No, nope. okay. no. That's why we did yeah. it that way. And yeah. what I would do is I would sprinkle. So my husband would tell me like, you have eight gr- good signatures on this sheet. You only have four on this one. So we would put our strongest sheets at the top, mm. and then in the middle, and in the back. So oh, no matter brilliant. where you. <laughs> I love. I know we're very so fun. It's a it, and for us, you go down to Springfield and you know you get up early, you wait in line. I didn't, you know, I, I didn't have uh, any expectations of mm-hmm. I, did, as long as you get there before they close the line. Yeah. So I was somewhere in the middle, and I had to wait a couple of hours, and then we went for Bloody Marys. So there it was you go. all good. Yeah. That's great. Did you go? Did you go first day or last day, or did you not? First day. First day. I was, day. I was there the day, day. day it opened. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't think that I'm not familiar with whether or not the state of Illinois does if if you go uh, like the last. They're, they do the last hours. So they be last on the ballot, right? So there's a, so there's that. there's like a lottery, right? There's a lottery for, for first, first position, right. right? And then there's also a lottery for last position, right? And I think Chewy is the only one who showed up after four p.m., which to is the, the lottery last. to be to be on the yeah. a, 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 the last person on the ballot. So that'll be his spot. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's. 
in, in a race when you have like 11 people in potentially, we'll see if people survive the challenges. I'm actually curious whether you think everyone's going to survive. Uh, you know, being at the top of the ballot, e- political science research, you know, very yeah. small amount, but some people just, that's, it. that's right, top of the ballot. Well, I'm also, I, I didn't ever follow through on finding out if, how many incumbents at state races yeah. are at the top of the ballot because yeah. it seems as though they get the top of the ballot. What should be done, and some states do this, is, and it's like, I could, I understand how this could be potentially overwhelming. It's a lot easier on an electronic screen, mm-hmm. uh, depending if whether you're doing paper or electronic, I think most people are doing electronic. Um, it should be randomized. Just oh, randomize yeah. it. I know. Right? That, that, that's, why, no. why, why do we have a line, right. stand in line to be first on the ballot? It seems ridiculous. Yeah, so you have to be there on the first day in order to be considered for first on the ballot, I believe. I yeah. That's a, but yes, we are. We do love our rituals here in Illinois. <laughs> uh, do I think, I, I believe Jamal Green was thrown off the ballot last time by Willie Wilson, if, yes. I'm, if I recall I, so, but, so, uh So part of City So Real, I'm just plugging this. People should go watch it. It's, it's is uh, Ricky Hendon. Uh, who was a political advisor, is a political advisor, I think, for Willie Wilson, uh, sitting across the table from Jamal Green and challenging, you know, and and they got it. They got into it. Yeah, they got into it. And it's on uh, a documentary. Well, and I will say that challenging signatures, I get it. Right. Except part of it is that they subpoena people whose name and address appears on that. So when I was door knocking, people did not want to sign at all because they were worried, in particular because of the candidate I was running against. He had not against. But his candidate, he had appointed yeah. Robert Martwick, had challenged uh, signatures and would, was subpoenaing them. People were like, "I have to take out work, take time out of work. Mm-hmm. I got to drive downtown. I got to pay for parking. I got to sit there for hours." And they're like, "So they're never signing ballot. Yeah. They're never signing petitions again." Well, there's also a, c- a concern that was raised about like you know we're in, still in a COVID era right. and approaching random strangers on the street, asking them to sign stuff, yeah. to hand them stuff. You know, you, you touch the pen, they touch the pen. Touch a piece of paper. A bunch of other people have touched. It's a different. It's a different consideration. I don't know how big of a deterrent it is, but it again is a question of like, is this the right process? Is this how we should <laughs> the best we can be do. doing this? Yeah, I don't know. So I, I know it's done differently in other places, but I also know that you have to run. So I want to thank you for yeah, coming in today absolutely. and uh, grabbing you out of the hallways. Come and hang out with yes, me. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to take the phone calls and I'm going to let you go do what you need. to Carry on with your evening, <laughs> and we'll figure out a time that works for you yeah. to hang out for a couple segments. I will because uh, yeah, you were. We'll catch up. Perfect. Was there anything else you wanted to mention before you go? No, that's all I got. Uh, all right, then. Go. Get all right. Get Thanks, Patty. I'll take a break here. 773-763-9278 is a number to call and join our conversation right here on WCPT 820. Driving at Home is sponsored by Monaco Brewing, Kids Above All, and European and U.S. Car Service. More after this. The Devil's Advocates. You recall the Capitol insurrection? A post-ABC News poll showed 54% said Trump should be criminally charged for inciting the riot. That's like a litany of criminal allegations against the former president. You can say it's all partisanship and a witch hunt, but there wasn't one credible accusation against Obama during his entire eight-year term. So how Republicans just ignore all the evidence? I mean, he was perpetrating a coup on multiple levels. The Devil's Advocates on WCPT 820, Chicago's Progressive Talk, weeknights, 6 to 8. WCPT 820, Chicago's Progressive Talk, where facts matter. You want facts to matter? Want to hear some truth? Get your lazy ass down to the voting booth and vote! God damn it! Vote! God damn it! Want some justice on the Supreme Court? Lifetime appointments, they ain't short! Want women to control their own body? President, not John Gotti. Want a clear separation of church and state? It don't come free. Park 
folks, I uh, I just I pushed a button and a lot of things unraveled. Although I don't, we don't. Somebody messaged about the news. We'll have news again at the top of the hour at six. Uh, the border policy has not changed with every president. To say that changes every time is not is not accurate. Oh, I'm not sure what the, I'm trying to just catch up on some of the texts. Thank you for your text, Larry. Let's see what we got from this show. Mm-hmm. Interesting top of the hour. Thank you, Mike and Evanston. And do you have any idea why we stopped doing... Oh, uh, I'm, I'm not really sure about all the information. Let's see what, t- what Matt has to say. Hey, Matt, what's on your mind, my friend? Hello, Patty. Okay, I've got a migraine. I have to go perform improv for six kids in about a half hour. And I almost got run over about 10 minutes ago. Oh, so no. let's get down to it. Okay. Uh, first of all, to the fellow who ran the light at Division and Hall said, I hope your tires pop, you modeling, coddling a little split. Um... As for your guest who was just on, he mentioned that Marjorie Taylor Greene could read tea leaves. Unfortunately, I don't think she could read an eye doctor's chart. <laughs> but beyond all of that, uh, let's get down to Mr. Orange-Haired Potato. Folks who listen to this show or listen to WCPT and for some reason decide to vote for that man, A, I don't know why you listen to this channel because all it does is infuriate you. It infuriates you as much as listening to Sean Hannity or any of your right-wing lunatics like Stephanie Trussell irritates me. So if you decide to listen to this channel, don't be butthurt by it. Okay, (laughs) orange-haired man-child. Orange-haired man-child. Folks, we beat him once, we will beat him again. Yes, these next year and a half, two years, is going to be a large pain in the butt. But we are going to beat him. And this time, he's not getting back up. And if he has a problem with that, he can complain about a small hand to his wife. Oh, wait, no, she won't care either. Whoopsie. Sorry. <laughs> so you've got a lot going on in traffic there, Matt, on your way to, to, to teach, teach. Are you teaching improv tonight? No, I'm part of, uh, I'm part of an improv group that goes to uh, hospitals and performs Oh, thank you for doing that. How do the? Is it sometimes with kids they can have they can have a little bit of the chip of the on their shoulders when you're trying to make them laugh, can't they? Well, I will tell you this. Um, I've only done one show with these guys, and uh, this will be my second show. The first show we did, this girl could not care less. Actually, the girl was somewhat enthused. The mom was just on planet eleven. But um, the girls thought it was occasionally funny. So, you know, we're making headway. The kids, they're either really, really interested or they're on their phone or, oh, a duck or a goose. <laughs> or yeah, it's very hard to keep their attention span. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it, it can be challenging, but I'm glad you do that because I'm sure that it gives gives them something different to do. Now, tell me about your migraine. I don't know if it's because I started drinking espresso and I haven't had any yet today, but ever since I started doing improv and sketch comedy, I've been having more and more espresso, just straight espresso. I don't, I, I don't drink coffee. I still think it tastes terrible. Heck, I think espresso tastes, it tastes terrible, but I need it at this point. Um, but I, I, the biggest migraine just comes from these people who get on the air on television and radio and not you you're the good one <laughs> and not Stephanie she's a good one not anybody on WCP but they steal this vile and this garbage and they say it's a fact 
please give me one piece of empirical evidence that anything you say is an allowed mound of dog poop. Ooh. Please. I know. I, yeah, I, you know, I don't know if I'm spicy because of the migraine or because I almost got run over or because I'm just tired of all this garbage. Yeah. I know. I find myself getting into moods about the garbage, about the just the insanity, the cruelty, uh, hateful things that people say and, and the sort of like locked minds that they seem to have. Uh, I was watching someone talk about how manipulated these folks are when they you know, are screaming for LGBTQ plus books to be removed from stores or libraries or they're protesting at a drag show. Uh, you know, they're screaming about I mean, like it's it's really it's maddening that they're being distracted by these things as Republicans who they're sending into D.C. or to the state capitals are finding ways to chip away at their true freedoms. I, I don't understand how pointing at another group and saying it's their fault or they're dangerous or they're a threat to your, you know, Christianity. It, it is insane how people fall for it over and over and over again. And they fall forward to the point that they decide to go to a nightclub in Colorado. Yep. Which, if correct me if I'm wrong, is a predominantly gay nightclub, and they shoot the place up and yep. kill a bunch of people. And without any. And it, then we're going to go around and around about guns. Right. And nothing's ever going to well, and the thing is that not a single I have not seen a single Republican say in, in leadership that what happened in Colorado is a result of our hateful language or that we, you know, that was not we don't want people to get hurt. Like even say we don't want people to get hurt. No, they doubled down and essentially make it seem as though those people did, got what they had coming in this instance. Right. Wait, Patty, Patty, you've been doing this a long time. Are you telling me that you still think that they're going to take accountability for anything? I know. I, and yet... Patty Louise Vasquez, what are you talking about? <laughs> I know. I'm naive that way. I still have that kernel of people, in essence, at their very core, can be good, I, I, which is an adjustment from what I probably thought when I was younger, is that people at their very core are good. I'm saying now they could be, maybe. I, I, I still have that little little smidgen of hope. If people can be good and they choose not to be, don't lose hope. Right. If people That's... are not good and they don't care, smack yeah. the face. <laughs> Smack Not them in the face. I, you know, I, uh, I'm getting older. Well, as Eric Grant would say on the family meeting, choke him. <laughs> Do what to him? Oh dear, I'm not. Or as Eric Grant on the family meeting would say, choke him. Oh, see, I don't encourage any violence. Uh, I do encourage uh, sass. I definitely encourage sass. And uh, as you know, sarcasm. I don't actually choke, go out and choke I know. <laughs> I know, but like, that's the thing. I guess I get uncomfortable. Like, I even get uncomfortable when somebody who is notably horrible uh, and has been done terrible things to people, and when they pass away, people cheer. I just, silence is my answer, folks. Silence is my answer. No, I, I, I don't wish anybody dead. I, Me neither. And I'll say this a million times. I don't even wish the potato man dead. I really don't want <laughs> to go away, but I don't wish him dead. I don't wish anybody dead. Right, right. I don't. But 
I, we cannot stoop to their level. No. Name-calling is one thing, because if you do it yes. the right way, name-calling can be funny. But don't don't turn into a violent neophyte. Just don't. It's not worth it. No, I agree. By the way, I have to ask you something, uh, Matt. Do you when you are unwinding? Do you are you watching any series like anything on uh, Netflix or Amazon Prime? Um, do I? Uh, there was oh God. What is the name of that show? Uh, there was a show. Um, oh God, I can't think of it. But it was on Netflix. It, it had premiered a few years ago, and it ended. But I'm just starting it. it it's just. Uh, this girl and her gay best friend, and it's not Unbreakable Commitment, that I know. But, no, it's this girl and her, her gay best friend, and they can't figure out why people don't like them. And they're just absolutely oh. terrible people. I have to find this one. Hilarious. And I will have to try and think of the yeah. name of that show and let you know. Yes, message uh, me. Doctor Who. Oh. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I love La Brea. I oh. think it's the stupidest show. But for somebody who grew up demolishing and intentionally missing vacations to watch Lost, La Brea <laughs> is <laughs> okay. La- I, I went to Hawaii, and the, it was a Thursday night, and my parents had all this stuff planned, and we were there for a business meeting for my dad, and they were going to bring me out for dinner and everything. I'm like, no. No, no. Wednesday night is Lost night. I'm <laughs> staying in the room. And how did you feel so, about the yeah. finale of Lost? Because I did not have a problem with it. Okay. They were never going to solve every single question that people had. No. That's just not how these shows work. For what it was, it was a fantastic show. For the ending that they had, it was a fantastic show. I think that the problem people have is not the fact that they didn't answer questions, but they made it so that... There can't, like, Damon, uh, Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse have always said, that is our story on the island. Somebody can tell their uh, this yeah. other story on the island if they so choose to. The problem is, is that they, these people got so invested in all these characters that the way they did it, and no, they weren't dead the entire time, people. They were alive on that island. But they made it so that by the end of the show, we see them all reunite in heaven, and then they go to live blissfully for eternal life. Right. Whatever you want to call it. Right. Whatever you want to say. So there's no chance that we, we can ever, like, if they do a sequel of Loss at some point, we're not going to have Terry O'Quinn show up. Because he's dead. You can't have Matthew Fox show up because his character's dead. We literally saw him die. They're all dead. Right. So that's the problem people have because they, they know that even if they bring it back, they're not going to see their favorite characters. The other thing is, now that we know what, and by the way, spoilers, people, uh, now that we know that the smoke monster was this evil demon thing type person, that's the best way I can explain it without becoming a total dork and explaining the entire show to you. <laughs> we don't have enough time for it in two hours. Um, we know what ha- we know what it is, and what the monster was, what the basis for all of the stuff happening was, was a big part of the show. So, unless they can make it so that we know, but we're so invested in these new characters that they don't know, that we know, then there's just no point in watching it again. There's no point in going back to that island as much as people want to. Right. There's no, I agree with that. I agree with that. And I'm, I'm going to look into La Brea because I was not familiar with it. A thrilling new adventure begins when a family is separated between two worlds after a massive sinkhole appears in Los Angeles. I'm in. I'm in. The other thing... I, this show was wackadoodle. <laughs> hilarious. 
I, uh, I, I do love. Uh, so the reason I was asking is because I'm, I'm watching Wednesday by Tim Burton for the Adams. Oh, family. I haven't seen I'm that really enjoying it. So I want to know what you think about it. After you watch a few episodes, let's uh, reconvene and discuss. So these are the things yes, folks were recommending to uh, decompress after watching too much news or being on Twitter is, uh, you know, a little, a, little, uh, a little binging time. That's all I'm saying. I'm going to find LeBron. Or listening to me rant. There, hey, or listening to me rant. It all works. Be safe, Matt, and uh, hopefully those drivers Love stay out of your way. You. Love you, Matt. Take care. Let's take a break here. I'll do traffic right. in just a moment on WCPT 820. You're listening to the Heartland Signal, and I'm driving it home till 7. There's new information. Explosive new information. It's how every day starts. The need for information. Get the info you need from Santita Jackson. Weekday morning starting at 6 on WCPT 820. This is WCPT 820, where facts matter. Hi, this is Kirk Bankstead from the Minocqua Brewing Company, and I sell progressive beer like AOC IPA and Bernie Brew, a lovingly irascible Democratic Socialist lager. A percentage of the proceeds of every beer I sell goes to helping keep Wisconsin blue and driving the Trump cult out of our state. Enjoy a great craft beer and help your dysfunctional neighbor to the north get its democracy back. Now available at Arminetti Wine and Spirits in Woodstock, Illinois, and Famous Liquors in Lombard, as well as in Chicago at ANS Wine and Spirits, Back of the Yards, and Grand Western Liquors, Ukrainian Village. Please drink responsibly. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. Thank you so much for hanging out with us as we drive it home until 7. I want to thank our listeners in the 630 and the 773 who texted me to give me breaking news that there, the Respect for Marriage Act has passed. Uh, so the uh, there are some Democrats, I mean, some Republicans that came together to protect same-sex marriage uh, from the Supreme Court. The Respect for Marriage Act codifies m- marriages, and uh, and it came. This came about, of course, what we all started getting worried. Uh, I don't think that it's any secret that Clarence Thomas basically said, uh, "We're coming for uh, gay marriage." Said it right out loud. Even though that also then chips away at my ability to even marry my husband, because. That would also mean you weaken the ability to legislate and protect people who want to marry from different backgrounds. I'm just I don't, okay. Anyway, uh, when the Supreme Court took away the right to reproductive rights, uh, reproductive health, uh, they basically said we're coming for same-sex marriage in the future. So the version that, that uh, overcame a filibuster today, uh, a dozen Republican senators from across the country did vote with Democrats. Uh, actually, that was last week. So they did vote with Democrats before Thanksgiving to limit the debate and move toward a final vote. So uh, let's see where we at. Let me, let me find a good place to read more about this uh, passage of the bill. It now goes back to the House for a final vote before heading to uh, President Joe Biden's desk. Uh, they did pass this landmark legislation that will offer federal protection for marriages of same-sex and interracial couples, with Democrats securing enough votes to overcome opposition from most Republicans. It was approved 61 to 36 with unanimous support from Democrats, thankfully, and uh, 12 uh, GOP uh, legislators did vote to support it after defeating a filibuster and rejecting three amendments offered by Republicans who oppose the bill. Of course, the measure will now go to the House for the final vote. And then, of course, to the president's desk. It reflects this Senate vote reflects a rapidly growing public support for legal same sex marriage, which hit a new high of 71 percent. So 71 percent of Americans in the latest polling support protecting same sex marriage. 
Uh, so it's, I'm, I'm so glad that we're making uh, this 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 progress. This needed this needed to be codified. And look, the state of Illinois, we still think about Illinois as being one of the strongest states when it comes to women's reproductive health. But there is now talk about codifying that in the Constitution so that down the road we aren't faced with a legislature that goes, you know what, now we've uh, you know we've bought our way in, or we've uh, you know strong armed our way in, or we've convinced enough people that we've got to take over the, the which is look, this is how. Uh, elections work. We make decisions. We all come together and vote for the people that reflect our values. It's just that some people's values is uh, values are uh, hurtful to people. So I'm glad that uh, that we are doing this at the federal level. I'm glad that in Illinois we are moving towards codifying uh, protecting women's access to abortion is also going to be protected. But right now we're talking about the passage of the the Respect for Marriage Act, which. We had a conversation about Mitt Romney and the Mormon church essentially saying, look, this is fine. Uh, As long as we agree that people in our church should not participate in same-sex relationships or uh, they do not acknowledge and they do not respect same-sex marriages within the church, uh, it still – it gives a lot of people – in particular in religions such as that, uh, hope that there is some empathy because that's what a lot of people, you know, I grew up in the Mormon church until I was 10 years old and it, it you know, leaving, uh, a, an institution leaving, and that's what it is leaving, uh, Basically, what is is your family, what you've known for, for me, I was only 10. Uh, it's scary because when you are, and I think that's what happens to people who see something that, that contradicts their beliefs, their traditions, is it makes them very upset. And I think maybe it's because when you're in the church, and this is, I'm again, from my own perspective of being a Mormon for, for just 10 years, but I, uh, first 10 years of my life, it was scary because when I was in the church, I felt like I had all the answers. I felt confident in everything that I believed that I had been told. I, oh, that must be true. You know, about the president of the Mormon church. Of course, he talks directly to God. So we have got to believe everything that they say. And uh, this this book tells me that um, this is how I should behave. This is what I should expect from my relationships, what I need to work towards, which is gathering righteous souls and converting people and uh, convincing them of the true way and all these things. And when you and so it's a very, it, it, you know, being a part of a group where you're uh, you're valued just for who you are. And as long as you're a member and you don't do anything wrong, you're going to keep you're going to want that uh, the continuous uh, affirmation, the the love that is shown to you, the patting on the head and we're here for you, we'll take care of you. Uh, and I and I think that when people see a gay couple that you've been taught in your church is wrong and it goes against the word of God, it makes people angry. It, it stirs up this emotion. And I think, I believe that part of it has to be, well, if they're doing that, then there's, but that's wrong. And, and my church can't be wrong. It's, it's, it makes people have this almost uh, this emotional break. Uh, and, and we see Groups, the GOP, weaponizing the language of hate and, you know, making whether it's somebody who wants to live their life as a woman, even though they were born differently and they they just know in themselves this is who they want to be. I mean, like, look, folks, everything that we do, we're making this up as we go. We are 
absolutely making this up as we go. And for those who, you know, wrap the Bible uh, up in everything, they're not, there's nothing, I don't remember anything in the Bible that says, if people don't agree with you and follow the teachings of Jesus, you must inflict pain on them, emotional and physical pain. You have to hurt them because they don't believe in the word. To me, religion is an invitation. Hey, this is what we think. These are our rituals. We'd love for you to join us. Like, that's what a religion should be. Like, that's what a group should be is inviting, embracing, uh, and welcoming. But to point the finger and say, though, it's those people that are challenging our beliefs, our, our, the fundamentals of our religion. Uh, it, it, it goes against everything that God said, even though God didn't say it. And God, God, you know, the, that was basically someone's shorthand of writing the Bible, of writing these, these stories, these fables in many ways. And yes, is some of it based on, on historical situations and the teachings of Jesus? It's, but it doesn't mean that you should go hurt people or, or try to basically eliminate them by force, meaning you want to get rid of immigrants because they're dark skinned and you're making up stories about how expensive they are, even though the Bible actually Jesus actually taught welcome people from a strange land as though they are your neighbors like that's that's what Jesus would teach Jesus taught about not accumulating tremendous amounts of wealth if it's at the expense of everybody else and and not to uh to, it's supposed to be about not hurting people but when you say that someone cannot love who they love and not be who they are that is you're not operating from a place of love you're operating from a place of intolerance and hatred and that's why I'm glad that this legislation that the Respect Marriage Act has passed, and uh, and I'm and congratulations to the people who worked hard on that, including our neighbor uh, to the north, uh, Senator Tammy Baldwin of Wisconsin, who was one of the uh, the authors of the legislation and had been carrying it. So, congratulations, and uh, it is historic, and I'm so thrilled that this uh, that folks uh, made sure that I was aware of it during the show. Let's take a break here. We'll take your calls seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight. You can call or text to that number. You can also, you know, I've got to get to the uh, Facebook live stream. If you are losing the uh, the show uh, on your terrestrial radio, make sure that uh, you switch. If you can't hear us anymore, go to heartlandsignal.com. You can listen to us live there. You can also go to the, the WCPT Facebook page and uh, and watch the show because the audio is all there as well. And uh, thank you for uh, my, my husband just texted me, said uh, rocking it, girl. <laughs> thank you. Uh, we'll take a break here and take a call. I know Jim on hold. We'll take that call as soon as we come back after this on Driving It Home with me, Patty Vasquez. You're listening to WCPT 820 because facts matter. Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez. There's so much that goes on behind closed doors on WCPT 820. Thank you so much for joining us. And as we drive it home until seven, we've got uh, Jim on the line. Hey, Jim, what's on your mind, my friend? Hold on one second. What? Why we're not, Why aren't we all screaming for universal health care? I'm sure if they put it through a referendum, yeah, it'd be at least seventy percent, and the people that are making money off of it would, would be against it, of course. But the Europeans say I've availed myself of European uh, emergency rooms. It was all free. My brother was an isolated toilet story. He went through a saloon doors and he was in the hospital for two days. And he said, well, how much is this? Well, we got to charge you $5. Hmm. 
Okay. Uh, my point is, all, the whole world has universal health care, but the Americans, we got to fight like fiends for it. And they talk about mental health care. Mental health care is a fortune. I don't know if you reveal yourself as a psychiatrist, but it's about three fifty for a half an hour. The medicine is a fortune. Yeah. So most people that are poor can't afford the, any mental health care at all. Uh, my suggestion, I know that when people think of Castro, they can think whatever they want of Castro, but at least Castro, Castro is saving lives around the world. He sent everybody there to medical school. Anybody with an IQ over 100 got a free medical education, and they're all over the world saving lives as we speak now. I think the most valuable thing that you would be is their health care. Once your health gives out, that's the end of the line. Right. So my point is, when are we going to get universal health care? That's the, it's the only thing I, I've been fighting that since I was in school. I was, I was with the nuns in the press, the Dominican nuns, when they were fighting for Obamacare. And they gave me a hard time about abortion. What about abortion? What about they should, we're ignoring abortion. We want health care for everybody. That's the most important thing. I agree. Yeah, for everybody. We want we, we want to save lives. That's the most important thing. So they talk about mental health care like it was uh, cheap. Try to get it. I mean, it's a fortune. It, it, to, it, to, uh, it's a fortune. My brother, for instance, went into a rehab uh, in uh, 2002 for alcohol and uh, Xanax, where he was hooked up. Anyway, it was thirty grand for thirty days. No, they wouldn't take any insurance. So he had the scratch to do it. You follow me, Patty? Yep. But what, now, what is a poor person? Do? The poor alcoholic or poor drug addict or whatever the case may be. They don't have a prayer. No, there's, prayer. there's no profit in them. No, they don't have a prayer. But yet, they have uh, health care all over the world. And we're the only suckers that, that go, along for the, go along for a ride with this. And uh, it's just, it's so, it's so sickening. I don't even know what to say. You never hear about it. And, no. You know, this Medicare, you know, I'm on Medicare, and then you've got the Medicare Advantage, but it doesn't make any sense. That's all phony, baloney stuff. And they know that a general practitioner in Europe, if your family has a general practitioner, your chances, your health care chances, go, you know, they skyrocket because they know your history of your family. They know about what, you know, you go for your checkups and so on and so forth. But a general practitioner, we should have more and more of them. But we will eventually when people come to their senses. But anyway, I just to well, here, listen to this, throw. Jim. Well, let me just tell you this, right? So because every year, like they, they estimate about 40% of Americans rack up some sort of medical debt. And then, of course, you have lenders that are uh, predatory and are, will offer people, hey, you don't have good credit. We'll help you pay back your hospital bill and things like that. The profit margins for patient financing has gone up 29%. Because they're 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 quote unquote helping people pay for care and essentially draining their bank accounts. Oh, it's 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 obscene. It's yep. absolutely obscene. And I've talked to doctors, and they said, Jim, if you want to go out and and uh, have a demonstration, I'll be right with you. Because here's what happens in Germany. In Germany, you get out of uh, school, you get two hundred fifty grand as a, a you know tennis or whatever you know these church sitting out. And then a regular doctor gets five hundred grand. They have no paperwork. They have no uh you're fighting with insurance companies and so on and so forth. What's mm-hmm. the, what's the right procedure, what's the wrong procedure? But 
uh, uh, you know, you just, it's kind of slipped off the radar, but to me, yeah, this is the most important thing in the United States is to get universal health care. Anyway, Patty, right. I hesitated to call today, but I just, I could, I, you know, it was going through my head. Thanks, Patty. Take care. Take care. All right. Thank you so much. Right. By the way, to Jim's point, nationwide in the United States, one in five adults are currently on a financial plan to pay off a medical or dental bill. Wow. Jeff is on the line. Hey, Jeff, thanks for hanging in there. What's on your mind, my friend? Hi, um, I'm excited about the uh, Senate passing the uh, same-sex marriage law, but um, I don't see how that gets us away from the conservative Supreme Court. It's just the law, and just because it's a federal law doesn't mean that the Supre- someone's going to bring a suit saying this violates my religious freedoms and it's therefore unconstitutional. So, you know, they, you know things happen with the Federal Voting Rights Act, where the Supreme Court has chipped away at that. I see the same thing happening with uh, the Same-Sex Marriage Act if it passes. They're just going to chip away. The only way you can get around it, is, and there aren't enough votes, is to have a constitutional amendment that says, you know, same-sex marriage is part of the Constitution. Well, and I think you have a good point, because that was their whole point about uh, abortion, right, was that it's not in the Constitution. It's not explicitly defined in the Constitution. So I agree. I, I don't know if this is a way to the best they could do under these circumstances. And I and I believe me, I'm a, I hate putting things off or leaving any vulnerabilities to this Supreme Court. I don't know if it was an, an effort to do something in the pla- in the absence of nothing. Right. Right. No, I'm yeah. all for it. I mean, it's Me a too. step in the right direction, but I don't think people should be dancing in the streets. I, I think that this act, if it passes, uh, there will be immediate act, but legal, legal action against it to, to make it go away. Right. Here, even uh, the uh, the Missouri Secretary of State says the bill does not protect religious li- liberty, right? So that'll probably be a challenge. Right. You can already hear the language that they're starting to use. Uh, so, the, yeah, he, the, the Secretary of State sent a uh, – the Missouri Secret- Secretary of State has already sent a tersely written letter, uh, noted that Missouri's constitution – so the state constitution of Missouri defines marriage as a union between a man and a woman, and that the you know the federal government can't supersede. Uh, state constitution. So you're right. It, it should right. be codified and in the constitution. Look at o- Obamacare, they, they chipped away at o- Obamacare with, you know, apparently religious freedom trumps everything with the Supreme Court. Yep. Yeah. They, they will, so, they will anyway, do That's why they, that, that was their plan all along was to line up ultra conservative, uh, you know, boot licking uh, Supreme Court justices that will do the bidding of the GOP and the Federalist Society. Yep. yep. That's all. I just, you know, if there's any constitutional scholars out there that want to, you know, chime in on, you know, how you draft a law that prevents the Supreme Court uh, from, you know, overturning this, I, you know, that, I, <laughs> I will, hear it, but I will make a I, note celebrating. Just I, yet. I will make a note and uh, line somebody up to talk about the constitutionality and what needs to be done next. Sound good? Okay, great. Thank you, Jeff. You too. Have a good night. Let's take a break here. We'll take news and traffic and continue our conversation coming up at at 6.30, because there's two hours now. I'm not done at 5.30 or 6. At 6.30, we're going to have our friend uh, Evelyn Figueroa from the Pilsen Food Pantry. More in a moment on Driving It Home with me, Patty Vasquez. Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. 
As we continue with our second hour, uh, coming up at 6.30, we're going to with our friend Evelyn Figueroa from the Pilsen Food Pantry. Uh, I do want to read something before I take your calls. I, I want to clarify, I had a wonderful guest on yesterday. Uh, I received, I'm a member at the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and uh, at the, the History Museum as well there in Springfield. So I'll get like promotional information about events coming up. And I saw this great thing called Warning Signs, and they were doing a four-part series of presentations. Um, but the people, the folks from the um, from the event, wanted to make sure that I understood uh, the organization a little better. Uh, they are so this presentation that's happening at seven o'clock. You can still register. It's the presidential, the Lincoln Presidential Foundation. Uh, they they are partners with the National Park Service and the Lincoln Home National Historic Site, as well as the Lincoln Forum, and they are their own independent foundation. You can go to lincolnpresidential.org for information about everything. Thing that they do, including the event tonight at seven o'clock with Professor Sadell, and uh, that's again, uh, it's going to be on Zoom. It's a webinar, and it's going to talk about the threats to democracy, freedom, and justice that President Lincoln faced and how he addressed them. So that's coming up tonight at seven with the Lincoln Presidential Forum. So thank you so much, Foundation. Thank you so much to our friends there, and we'll, we'll have more conversations with them going forward. Dave from Hoffman Estates. Hey, Dave, what's on your mind, my friend? Hey, Patty, I was just telling Lady B, and I was just reading the story where uh, the Wisconsin election officials are weighing whether changes to military absentee voting are needed after a top Milwaukee election official was charged with fraud in false requests for military absentee ballots just days before the election. And talk about where this Kimberly Zapata had um, used fictitious voter information to send three military absentee ballots to the home of a state lawmaker in October. And and, I, and she was trying to say that she was trying to expose vulnerabilities in the system. But because um, um, in Wisconsin, they don't have to, you know, they don't, it says here that, uh, oh, let me get to it. They don't have to register to vote. In Wisconsin, you know, military voters don't have to register to vote in Wisconsin. Must only provide their name, address, and date of birth to get an absentee ballot. And federal law prohibits states from requiring permanent overseas and military voters to provide a photo ID. It says, however, they're looking at that they could use common access cards now to verify a service member's identity without running up against the restrictions in federal law. And this is the common access cards include a microchip that stores a service member's personal ID and authentication certificate that verifies their identity when accessing government computer systems. The same info could be used as an electronic signature for military absentee ballots. And that's what they're tossing this around. Well, and it, did you see what did you see what Zapata's response was to getting caught? That she said that she was she was trying to expose the vulnerabilities, right? Right. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> by breaking yeah, the law. Right. I mean, that's the kind of thing. Like, if you want to do your own sort of test on a system, you do that in coordination with people to see where the flaws are, not uh, uh, breaking the law without telling anybody, and then getting right. caught and be like, no, no, no. See, I'm helping you. I'm actually helping you find where you're making mistakes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and she's. Uh... The practices that have been effective at preventing widespread fraud, but uh, this is as the part of actions damage the public trust. Yeah, it does. And that, and that but uh, like Lady B and I were talking that 
now, you know, whatever other states may have this now, they may change it all, you know, everywhere where you got to have an ID, you know, that, uh, right. like a, you know, signature type thing. And so just thought you might find out of interest that, uh, you know, like a, a, law, a little bit more, this is a law enacted in Michigan earlier this year could provide a model for Wisconsin. The Michigan legislature established electronic voting as an option for military voters tying the unique information on their common access card to a digital ballot and thus securing the return process with the same verification used by military networks. Similar bills are introduced by Democrats in Virginia and New York, so it might not be such an uncommon thing now, you know? Right. Well, and, and like, why? I just, it makes no sense. It's so asinine that she even did this because the percentage of military votes is a fraction of the general turnout for Wisconsin. So, right, right. And this one, I think it said it was, like, 0.07%. Right. Something like yeah. that. Or, like, about, what, 2,300 voters or whatever like that. It was something, you know, pretty pretty small, but, you know, I don't know. But uh, just thought you might find that of interest, you know, because you, you deal quite a bit with the, a lot of the Wisconsin people, too, you know, for yeah. voting. We'll talk to uh, Dan Schaefer tomorrow and uh, see what his thoughts are on that, as well as other stories okay. in Wisconsin. Don't forget, the big the big race coming up in Wisconsin, and their primary is in February, is their Supreme Court. There's a, a, a very conservative uh, woman who just announced that she's running for the Supreme Court. I believe she's an election denier. Uh, so th- we'll be watching that race as it shapes up in Wisconsin as well. Because uh, that that gives them the opportunity to open up the gerrymandering to have some sort of recourse with uh, the steps that Republicans have taken to marginalize and uh, and basically disenfranchise a lot of Wisconsinites. All right. Well, yeah. as you know, I always try to give you some fresh stuff. Always, yeah, appreciate it. I'll, All right. Be well. All right. Take care. All right. Thank you. Thank right. you. And there's there's a lot of news to talk about today. We At the beginning of the show, we talked about how the Oath Keepers leader has been convicted of sedition in the uh, January 6th attack, of course. Uh, the... Uh, I'm I am hopeful that a uh, jury decision gives some energy and momentum to for not just further investigations, but prosecutions and uh, as as far up as it goes, of course. And then the Senate has, has passed the bill to protect same sex marriage and interracial marriage in a landmark vote with 12 Republicans crossing political lines to join with the Democrats. We haven't talked very much lately uh, about the railroad the the uh, possible strike of the railroad unions, uh, the railroads are saying the future of collective bargaining for many industries, including airlines, is at stake. So this is not just about, and this is often the case. We talked to our friend Brett Lyons from IBEW, where you know you are fighting for this particular, uh, these particular rights, and whether it's bargaining hours, uh, how, how you know how people are compensated and, and at what rate, uh, the ability to have those conversations. It's not necessarily just for that situation. But it has an, a carryover effect in other areas, whether it's still in broadcasting or even he was talking about baristas. So the railroad unions are saying that uh, the Congress mandating the labor deal without changes to paid sick leave will worsen the supply chain and further alienate rail workers. This is something that I do want to talk to somebody about that knows more. But from what I understand, the big thing, they're not necessarily fighting as much about money as they are about the ability to have sick leave, the ability to have uh, schedules that are more flexible. 
Some of these railroad workers are on call 24-7. They can never relax uh, in the event that they might be called and need to be enlisted into work. So the National Railway Labor Conference and the Brotherhood of Maintenance of Way Employees uh, Division of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters have drawn a line after a line in the sand after President Biden is calling on Congress to pass legislation that would enforce the tentative rail labor agreement. Now, Joe Biden, President Biden is a strong union guy. So I don't know. This is I get that we're getting into the holidays. Uh, I know that we have to move goods across the country, move people across the country. But I agree that the railroad road workers, uh, you cannot deny their right to strike. Uh, it, it's look, these are multi-million, multi-billion dollar industries that uh, benefit from the work that these men and women do. And I think it is time to do the right thing. So uh, it really is. Uh, <laughs> I can't. I, I was just surprised that President Biden uh, is trying to enlist Congress to force an agreement. Um, that just seems like that's uh, not a great idea. Let's uh, let's let them work it out and uh, let the chips fall where they may. More in a moment on WCPT eight twenty Heartland Signal. Because facts matter. You are listening to WCPT eight twenty. To driving it home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. We do have the uh, Facebook live stream back up. Uh, my apologies. I probably pushed a button somewhere as I tend to. Uh, poor Matt. I've already had to bring him in here. As he was in here, I said, Look, I pushed a button and I. Uh, erased the call screen and he, as he was in here I pushed some other button and deleted something off the music I, I just I there's so many screens in here that uh, it's a lot it's a lot a lot but I but the screen that is the phone lines are open and the text screen is up I've Matt has come in and fixed all of it 773-763-9278 is the number to call and join our conversation and uh, we've I, I haven't had a chance to talk about this today I know that Joan played, played some audio of this guy Nick Fuentes the not just like this Judeo-Christian fascist guy who I had no idea how bad it was. I just knew that he was a white supremacist uh, from Illinois. Mirna just messaged me and said, uh, Nick Fuentes, Kanye white, Kanye's white new best friend, said it's gay to have sex with women. And he used that uh, to deflect when someone questioned his preference. Oh, and he's from Illinois. Yes, he's from the suburbs. Um, he believes that we should have a, a not just a dictatorship, but a Catholic dictatorship in the United States. And, the, and he imagines this world where there is no gay marriage and women don't have access to abortion and, uh, and, and we don't that the Jewish people don't control any like he's it's absolutely it sounds ma- like madness. Only the fact that he has such a huge following. And this is what always startles me is that I, I really am naive in so many ways. Where I'm like, what? People care if someone wants to live their life as the way they feel, whether it's loving someone or dressing the way they want. Or, uh, I don't. I, I. I still like. I. I someone asked me how I'm just not angry all the time, and uh, I guess 
it's I would rather be situationally disappointed by people than constantly angry and expecting the worst. And so that's where I operate from. But it's exhausting. I will tell you to get disappointed over and over and over again. It, it takes a lot out of me. Uh, but I still uh, listening to Joan uh, play audio of this guy, Nick Fuentes, talking about, again, under this Catholic dictatorship and how women will have to wear veils in church. And we're going to, you know, we're, and, and the teenagers, I don't know if you guys caught this part, but he was talking about how there should be no birth control and people should start having babies as teenagers. And I don't like without any explanation as to why, just because um, I don't it's what is it? So Donald Trump sat down with this guy and his defense was, I did. Well, I didn't know who he was. OK, fine. Then they tell you who he is and you're still like, no defense whatsoever. And, and then you have Republicans trying to say, well, that, that, that I, I, I don't uh, I, I don't support any of that ideology. Uh, what, did, what did McConnell say? Mitch McConnell said there is no room in the Republican Party for anti-Semitism or white supremacy. There's no room for it. You guys have an entire you have a guest room for it. And you fill it up with all your hatred. There's no room for it. Have you guys heard the way some, like, whether it's Taylor Green or Bober talking about, uh, you know, what Jesus wants us to do and that it shouldn't be the, the government telling the, the church what to do, but the church telling us what to do? Are you serious? Okay. I'm just saying. And then uh, minority House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy denounced Fuentes uh, and uh, used similar language to McConnell's. I don't think anybody should be spending any time with Nick Fuentes. He has no place in this Republican Party. I think President Trump came out four times and condemned him and didn't know who he was. <laughs> he, he gave him dinner. He sat down and ate with him. This is insane. Uh, but I think it was one of them said that uh, they don't see um, someone who sits down with a guy like Nick Fuentes as being able to uh, run for pres- for the presidency. So it's it could be uh, they really. <laughs> I don't, yeah, if you're going to uh, someone just texted, well, if you're going to have a dictatorship, veils are pretty. Uh, but the ones in uh, the ones in The Handmaid's Tale, they kind of have like the they're almost like that big. Pilgrimy, uh, with the, it's almost like a blinder for a horse, so you can't see anything. Uh, teen, baby, teenagers have to have babies, is what the Nick Fuentes sees as the future of America. When, when can someone point to me when a dictatorship, first of all, was something any American wanted? Isn't that kind of the whole basis? That was the whole point. And yet, I've been thinking a lot about this when it comes to the fact that we you know, we put a lot of stock, obviously, the foundation of our country. First, the Declaration of Independence, and then our rules and laws and, and how we want to shape this country in the Constitution. But under the pretense of wanting to get out from under a monarchy, a monarchy to not uh, be ruled by those without our own input, without representation. And yet we've given it over to corporations, to billionaires uh, to determine how our elections, what our outcomes are, who will be amplified, uh, you know. And even with Democrats, like there's to Jim's question earlier about why aren't we doing more to move in the direction of universal health care? I still I got to believe that it comes down to the money. Uh, There are legislators in Illinois that I've sat down and talked to and said, we need to be able to do better when it comes to making sure that people even the just the bare basics of understanding the billing, like there should be standardized billing and not like what uh, you're able to negotiate. Well, if I pay cash. Can you lower the cost of this? Like medical care should be the cost should be the cost. And sure, should there be competition as far as, uh, you know, specialists and things like that? But 
But healthcare at profit, making your monetizing your doctor's visits in a way that uh, then they have to sort of decide, well, you're only going to have a 10 minute appointment with your doctor because we have to get a certain number every hour. We have to make sure that we're scheduling this many procedures. We are just uh, dollar bills to these companies, uh, especially when we see the massive takeover of our healthcare with hedge fund investors that just want to consolidate the hospitals and, uh, and, and thereby consolidating uh, the amount of money that they make off of us. Hey, Marina, what's on your mind? Hi, you made me spit my food out when you said that he wants a Catholic di- dictatorship. Yep, he wants a di- Catholic. Yep. Okay, and my text, did I not say that he deflected when he was questioned about his preference? <laughs> yeah, I don't get that. <laughs> okay, he deflected. Basically, he didn't say he was gay or that he wasn't. He wants a, not a Christian dictatorship, but a specifically a Catholic one. I'm Catholic, so if your listeners are thinking that I'm bashing Catholics, no, sorry, I'm bashing myself. I think I am. Um, problem with the Catholic Church for many years has been that some of the priests can't keep their hands to themselves. I- so... Was he, was that like a Freudian slip of the tongue when he said that? Oh, I have no idea. Because he he deflected being gay, but he wants a Catholic dictatorship. Mm -hmm. Is he like trying to him or something maybe? I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking too far ahead. Yeah, I, I had not seen the part where he says that having sex with women is uh, is gay. Christian fascist Nick Fuentes declares we need a dictatorship to force the people to believe what we believe or play by our rules. I mean, and people love it. Yeah. If you, I'll, I'll see a link where it, he, they actually had a video last night. I'm not sure if it was on Jimmy Kimmel or with uh, Stephen Colbert. They had where he was. It was videotaped with that reply, but I have, I think it's from the ACLU, where it's something titled, Five Things You Need to Know About uh, Nick Fuentes. I'll send it to you so you can read where he said it. Isn't it amazing that, you know, here we've said his name several times, and it's all because Trump had him over for dinner. You know what I mean? Like, what a huge victory for this nut job. You know? I mean, that's... Yeah, possibly. I'm just saying. It could be... It, it, he could turn into a mother. Remember the kid that was uh, in Wisconsin, the guy from Illinois, exactly. and he shot. Yeah, it could, it could actually turn ugly for him too, though. If I, he's, you know, he's using his his popularity right now. But I don't it, know. Rittenhouse seems um, like he is riding on the high hog. High on the hog, is that what they say? Because he is, oh, he's out there saying, he took pictures in front of the Capitol saying, maybe this will be my office someday. And he said that he wants to sit down with people that think he's a murderer so they can hear his side of the story, that he wants to let them know what they, all the things that, 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 that we get wrong. Uh, no, here, I'm trying to see where, you, so the Daily Dot in May, this is the, the story that you're talking about, having sex with women is gay. White nationalist incel movement is going to bizarre extremes to define straightness. Uh, his latest effort to explain why he's definitely an involuntary celibate heterosexual 
makes the least sense yet. The white nationalist said that all sexual activity is gay, the celibacy. So he's like, is he just a parody of and and the people are are falling for it? I mean, he sounds pretty much like the same guy who said that there was a pedophilia ring in a pizza joint. I mean, it's that it's that level of just madness. Stupid. Yeah. Involuntary. Yeah. I, I didn't know there's such a thing as that. So I don't want to laugh at anybody who might have a disorder called involuntary celibacy because it is a, uh, apparently. Oh, no. Hold on. Like involuntary celibacy just sounds like y- nobody wants to sleep with you. Right. I mean, which goes to reason. Yeah, it's not my choice. Nobody wants to be with me, so it's involuntary. Yeah, apparently this is like some glue that holds them all together on the far right. The primary male cohort of incels congregating together online to share their anger and confusion over being shunned sexually is partly credited for the rise in extremism in recent years. We've seen that before, too, where there there was a shooter in California who was mad at the girls that, that turned him down. It's toxic masculinity. And by the way, if you are not... Uh, um, if you're a, a guy and you hear the words toxic masculinity and you take offense to that, we're not talking about you. <laughs> so anyway, just want to put that out there. My husband knows I'm not talking about him. We should be able to say toxic mas- masculinity and not be afraid to have to apologize to all the guys. And here's the thing. If you got mad, then you have toxic masculinity. Oh, oops. Just saying. <laughs> just me. Yeah, but this guy, I think he's he's there's something behind that comment that he made because he's trying to cover himself, but at the same time, at the same time, he's exposing himself about something well, personal. I hope he doesn't expose himself because apparently no one wants any of it either. So, <laughs> so he shouldn't show it to us. That's for sure. <laughs> at least no women do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh boy. And, I mean, try not to think about it, but exactly. think about it. But anyway, I just wanted to add that to my uh, my text that I sent you. Excellent. Well, thank you. Thank you, Mirna. Have a great right. evening. I'll talk to you again soon. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up in just a moment, we're going to check in with our friend Evelyn Figueroa from the Pilsen Food Pantry. And I'm going to get you caught up in traffic here in just a moment. Tune into the Tom Hartman Radio Program, your home for news, opinion, and insight, right here on WCPT 820, where facts matter. WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. It is Giving Tuesday, and, uh, you know, I know that a lot of folks have their mailboxes just filled with people appealing to them, uh, all these different organizations that do great work. I wanted to make sure we amplified some of our friends in the Chicagoland area. We have on the line with us Evelyn Figueroa from the Pilsen Food Pantry. Hey, Evelyn, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Hi, Patty. How are you? I'm doing good. How Have you guys been busy all day trying to make, you know, get people to get the attention, cut through the clutter and the noise and do the work and help people in the community? Absolutely. It's, it's, a, it's a grind, but it's a good and necessary grind. It is. Tell me a little bit about uh, your, your work at the Pilsen Food Pantry. How long have you been with the, the pantry? So um, I founded the Pilsen Food Pantry uh, just under five years ago. We um, are the only pantry in East Pilsen, and we support over 2,000 households a month now. It was not like that 
Five years ago, um, numbers have continued to grow and grow and grow, even though the COVID pandemic has um, deprivated. So we're still very busy. We also have a free clothing program, physical therapy, medical devices, books, help register kids for school. So besides emergency food, we help people with a lot of wraparound social services. What was the inspiration to open the food pantry five years ago? And I, um, I really wanted to give my patients uh, resources that made sense, that were accessible and sensitive and responsive to their personal and cultural needs. And, um, and so upon interviewing a lot of patients, my patients expressed concerns with the food pantries that were around them, that they didn't have fresh produce, that it was a lot of canned food and bread. So we designed the Hilton Food Pantry to be open five days a week. Not because it's convenient for us, but because it's convenient for people that are struggling with poverty who need access to help healthy foods. So being open five days a week means that we can give people fresh produce and um, and try to keep things pretty consistent uh, across the week. And food is medicine. You know, as a doctor, I really wanted to put my um, put my produce where my mouth was and give them something healthy um, rather than just bread and canned foods and really help them enjoy enjoy food as much as I get to. I am so fascinated and, and inspired by doctors like you. I have a friend named Dr. Kathy Tynus who talked to me a few years ago about the result, you know, the the idea of sort of wraparound uh, attention to to patients. And her, she also talked a lot about food insecurity. Is this something that, I mean, you know, I think that years ago people had a different relationship with their doctors. You know, the, maybe the you know, medicine for profit sort of drove a wedge for a while, but it seems like we're coming back to what can we do in the communities as medical professionals? Is that your sense of things? Absolutely. Um, well, the Affordable Care Act actually had a lot of um, requirements and mandates about looking at people a lot more in communities more holistically. So that's the first thing. The Affordable Care Act actually requires all nonprofit um, health organizations to do a community assessment of needs and get to know their community and make sure that their services are responsive. Then there are other things that have been coming out along the way. You know, we're a country that spends $12,000 per person per year on healthcare, even though we're ranked in, you know, the 40s uh, worldwide. So we have very poor life, um, life and health outcomes in spite of throwing twice as much money as any um, other first world nation for healthcare expenses. And in countries that have higher life expectancy and less um, disease burden, they found that um, those countries spend way more on social services than on health care. United States is the inverse. We spend more on health care than on social services for the average person. Um, and health care companies are noticing that, that they're getting stuck with the bill. Um, every year that you're food insecure, your risk of diabetes goes up by 10%. If you're food insecure chronically, you literally live one and a half years less than someone who was food secure. So there's a big cost that health companies are paying for this, and we're in a capitalist health system for better or for worse. And um, and they're beginning to incentivize health systems to care about this more. So um, I try to appeal to people, and whatever is their reason why, if they think that food is a human right, if they think that we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't throw perfectly good food away, which we do all the time. I'll use whatever excuse that will compel people to, to understand that one in five families in Chicago um, every single week are food insecure. And, um, and, food, and food insecurity looks different, right, Patty? Like you 
sometimes people think about like absolute starvation, but that's not what food insecurity looks like. Food insecurity looks like you, you, you eating a bunch of shelf-stable or high-carbohydrate foods that have very little nutritional value to feel full and you not learn, you not learning about and enjoying healthy, diverse foods. And then it's cycling through your family where everybody's just used to all the carbs and, and, you know, never get to try Brussels sprouts, don't like broccoli, you know, carrots, like all these things that a lot of us take for granted that we could get fresh if we wanted. Well, and that's the thing is that, you know, having those choices and having access to places that can provide that kind of food. We have a lot of communities in Chicago that have food deserts as well. So you end up have you know, your choices are, end up being like fast food, especially for families that maybe are working multiple jobs, uh, trying to have yeah. overlapping care and just trying to get things done. Uh, it's, yeah. it's sometimes just easier to go to the fast food drive through, right? It can be much more affordable if you can get a pizza for $7 and you buy two of those and you feed your whole family that, you know, you're trying to take care of your family and being able to prep and plan for all of these meals is very difficult. The other part is if you don't have a really large food budget, can you afford to let your kid be a picky eater and offer them the same, you know, piece of, you know, cauliflower 17 times before they give it a chance and actually like it? You can't afford to make those types of food mistakes. You can't make two different dinners either. So it's it's really very complicated. It takes time. It takes money. It takes planning. And there's a lot of pride with feeding our kids. Who wants to not feed their children? Like, no, of course not. It's, it's a very basic need that we have to, to take care of our children and you're going to you're going to put food on the table and if it's not if it's not the most nutritious food you're getting them something into their tummy so we're just trying to make sure that people have broader options and that if they want to try different things with their families that they can do that interestingly produce is what we have the hardest problem keeping in stock so the average uh, client at the Pilsen Food Pantry gets 60 to 80 servings of fresh produce every time they come and that's all that's what we purchase like we you know we purchase almost a thousand dollars of produce every week now at the pantry because we've really tried to respond to increasing demand i uh, i want to go back for a moment to something that you mentioned about you know if you have kids and they're picky eaters you can't afford to make mistakes and then you as i'm a mother of a child who has uh, a corpus callosum disorder which uh, right. is, is similar to autism so he has uh, tactile defensiveness yep. and so yep. i can't even imagine if you layer that on top of being food insecure and then not having the supports in the community to understand how to address the the challenge uh, so and you so you mentioned that you also coordinate uh, human services with folks who are in the community mm-hmm. through the pantry as well. Tell us a little, a little bit about that. Well, it's such an intersection, right? Like if you if you are um, disabled, you're twice as likely to be food insecure. Um, in in Chicago, black and brown folks are twice as likely to be food insecure too. These are all different intersections. You talked about food deserts, and there are low food um, access points too because maybe people can't afford the food. Like it's right there, but they can't pay for it. So we try at the Pilsen Food Pantry to understand that, you know, food insecurity is a proxy for poverty. And we're trying to um, fill, fulfill unmet needs. So when we started the food pantry almost five years ago, people asked about lots of other things, but we were just in a space that didn't have, we, we just didn't have enough space to hold other, other products for them. So whether it was clothing or baby diapers, you know, et cetera, we just didn't have the physical space. We're in a very tiny space. 
when we moved into the space that we're in now, um, on through and 18th Street in an old church, we you know have we went from being at a 600 square foot space to being at over 3,000 square feet on that floor in the basement where we have the pantry. So all of a sudden, we could organize things differently if people wanted to donate something that maybe we didn't think we needed today, but we might want next month, we could accept the donations. We were able to really band up and expand and also support a lot of mutual aid organizations. So we process um, up to 25,000 pounds of um, food and then other household items every single week. And about 20% of that we we funnel into other um other uh, mutual aid groups, like for instance, people helping with our, our migrant crisis. So we, you know, we tr- we have a separate collection that we do for that, and and we keep those items separately. We have a clothing program upstairs, and the room is decorated like a boutique, and so that you just don't pay, but it still looks nice. And then physical therapy that goes on twice a week, and then we have a medical lending and giving library where we have various supplies for people that need it. That's fantastic. And yeah, I see that I see the medical access closet, too, because I know I'm in a group. I don't know if you're familiar with the buy nothing groups that. uh, Oh, my God, I love buy nothing. I've talked about this before, but like somebody will, you know, ask, does anyone have a walker? Does anyone have a a shower chair? And it'd be nice to have sort of a, a landing spot for people who don't have other places to go when it's hopefully a temporary situation that you need something like that. But, you know, it, it can be prohibitively expensive for those who are struggling. Right. Right. It can be prohibitively expensive and also just the insurance delays. There yes. are people that need to leave the hospital today and they don't get their wheelchair. And then we run them over a wheelchair and keep them from falling and getting readmitted to the hospital. So sometimes we're just lending something just because the system is too complex. And of course, we don't want people buying crutches. They're crutches all over the place. <laughs> so we don't want anyone buying those things. So. I- I have a pair. I have a pair. I can bring you if you'd like. I have a pair of crutches, <laughs> and a, I think I have a shower chair too. I'll bring you some stuff. That's awesome. Thank you. Well, so before, I mean, it's so funny because I want. I want to ask where, where did you grow up, Doc? I grew up in um, uh, Ravenswood. So okay. I grew up by Lawrence, Sacramento. And where'd you go to high school? I always ask this question. Von Steuben. Oh, you went to Von Steuben. All right, I went to Lane. We played you in softball. I don't know if we. I don't know if you played oh, softball or not, but. I'm sure we lost, but that's okay. <laughs> no, we please, good. public school uh, softball in the '80s was not well funded, so we all kind of we all kind of were terrible. <laughs> I'm just saying. I am just so grateful for the work that you do. How can we support you? What are some of the opportunities uh, that people can get involved, not just in the holiday season, but going forward and develop a relationship with the the Pilsen Food Pantry? Yeah, thanks. This is a great question. To begin with, you know, I think a lot of people definitely around the holidays think more about how much they have and trying to make sure that other people have the things that they need. So we're doing um, a number of holiday events. We know that if you don't have enough food, it's going to be hard when it's time to go back to school for school supplies. We know it's going to be harder for kids to ever have a bicycle. Um, You know, Thanksgiving is a tough time because kids are home from school more and there are more meals um, that you have to provide. And also the holiday meals are very expensive. So we December 17th, we have our third annual um, Feliz Covidad. Uh, so that's our, um, toy, our toy tent and, uh, food and outerwear distribution. So we're going to have that on Saturday, December 17th. So if people want to do any toy drives 
or want to come and help us volunteer, there's information on our Instagram page and on SilkinFoodPantry.com. Um, you can also just send people that need things. We love that. We're there. You know, we're open uh, 52 weeks of the year and wanting to serve as much as we can. Um, besides that, we need volunteers all year round. So if people can't make it um, in December, that's okay. You can come and check us out in January or February. Um, we're open five days a week with uh, social services. So we heavily rely on volunteers. We only have a few employees for our organization. We're very, very much volunteer driven. Outstanding. And, and where should folks go to learn more and uh, become a part of the wonderful work that you do? Um, the two places that are the most current are going to be Instagram and Facebook. So Instagram's at Pilsen Food Pantry. Um, and that's the same address that we use on um, uh, Facebook is uh, Pilsen Food Pantry. You will find us. We're the first hit. We also have a very busy webpage, PilsenFoodPantry.com. Excellent. And I uh, and we also have the information available on the Patty Vasquez show page. I would love to invite you back anytime. Uh, let's you know check in with each other, see what you need, see how we can help. If you ever have time to come in studio, it would be lovely to meet you as well. And uh, and I great. Oh, absolutely. And uh, thank you so much for the work that you and everybody at the Pilsen Food Pantry does to uh, strengthen our communities. It's it's really wonderful that you guys are, are taking this on and doing making such a great impact. Yeah, we really, really hope. Uh, we've been working really hard to uh, buy the building that's in our neighborhood, um, uh, the old church that we're in. So we're hoping uh, we're hoping to be able to stay there and continue to grow and serve. So thank you so much for your time and happy holidays, Patty. Thank you so much. Happy holidays. I'll talk to you again soon, Doc. Thanks. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Let's take a quick break here. Again, that's the Pilsen Food Pantry. You can go to the, uh, the their Facebook page, their Instagram page, my Facebook page to get more information. Roosevelt, I know you're on hold. I'll get your call when I come back in just a moment as we drive it home till 7. This is WCPT 820, where facts matter. Hi, this is Kirk Bankstead from the Minocqua Brewing Company, and I sell progressive beer like AOC IPA and Bernie Brew, a lovingly irascible Democratic Socialist lager. A percentage of the proceeds of every beer I sell goes to helping keep Wisconsin blue and driving the Trump cult out of our state. Enjoy a great craft beer and help your dysfunctional neighbor to the north get its democracy back. Now available at Arminetti Wine and Spirits in Woodstock, Illinois, and Famous Liquors in Lombard, as well as in Chicago at A&S Wine and Spirits, Back of the Yards, and Grand and Western Liquors, Ukrainian Village. Please drink responsibly. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. As we head into the home stretch, that doesn't sound echoey on the air, does it? I did something where, no, it sounds okay. I changed my headphones so I can run out of here uh, in time when we end the show. But um, Roosevelt is calling in. Hey, Roosevelt, what's on your mind, my friend? Oh, hi. Hi. Hello, what's up? Uh, how you doing? Thank you for taking my call. Of course. I'm hearing myself. I know, me too. There's an echo. What did I do wrong? Is it this? It's this one, right? Yeah, I'm hearing myself. Is that better? I... I think I got it. How's that? Okay. Yep. Go ahead. That's perfect. Perfect. <laughs> I was trying to get the okay. Chris Jones music up, but I had the wrong thing cued. Yep. Sorry about that. Go ahead, Roosevelt. Yeah, yeah. So you and uh, um, uh, Jonas Pazito were talking about... Uh, uh, that leader, uh, I don't know his name. Yeah. From the, what, what, what was the uh, the white supremacist? The oh, the the guy who was that was uh, yeah, yeah. found what, guilty of. Hold on one second. The leader of the proud the uh, oath keepers. Oath keepers. That's it. Okay, so here's the thing. 
Do you remember that Cuban-American guy in Florida that uh, was arrested, Enrique Terrio? What's the situation with him? And and speaking of that, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something that uh, about uh, racism, and it to go believe me, folks, this coincides with the with the conversation. I do remember my my mother telling me that uh, Trump had hired a Mexican American gay guy. Do you remember that guy? No. He, he, yeah, yeah, he hired a gay uh, Mexican American from Mexico. He wasn't even born here, like me. He, he was you know he was born in Mexico. He hired him to to handle the, um, you know, his campaign on a Spanish side. You like to go and 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 promote Trump and all of that. So I want to start with the Mexican people first, since uh, you know I, I like to, you know, first point to my backyard before I point the finger at anybody else. What I'm trying to get at is that there's racism of all colors. Even Latinos are racist to some extent, like that guy. Yeah. That guy sold himself out, sold himself out, sold himself out for money for Trump to to help him with his campaign. I, I wish I could I wish I could think of his name. My mom knows his name anyway. And then this guy, Terrio, he's a Cuban American. Now, my the point I'm trying to make is nobody talk, hardly anybody talks about this except me. And that is this. There's a lot of Cuban Americans that hate Democrats hate them with a passion, okay? They blame everything on the Democrats, okay? Right. And I'm saying they. Now, I'll give you two, two, two instances. Ted Cruz, which is Rafael Cruz, his dad came from Cuba, a refugee. Marco Rubio, Cuban-American, born in the United States. However, his people came as refugees. And who was responsible for giving them aid. They hated them. And they came here as little boys, uh, young people. I, I believe Marco Rubio's dad was 19 when he first came here. That's what here. Okay. Now, uh, what I'm trying to get at is they fled a dictatorship, an overthrow of a government because Castro overthrew Batista in, in uh, Cuba in 1959. Matter of fact, part of the movie Godfather, there's a little snippet of, of Cuban things right. that were going on down there. I remember, yep. Combined with the mafia or organized crime, whichever. But the point I'm trying to make is they flee. And I'm, I'm, I'm directing this to Cuban Americans. You know, they fled that and they supported Trump and they still support Trump. Hence, why do you think, uh, what's his name, won by so, so much in Florida, uh, DeSantis? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a conservative, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and, and, and here's the thing. And here's the thing. The, the president that's responsible for bringing them here and giving them a year of not, they don't have to work, they don't have to show any papers, they're refugees. Just like the people that came barefooted from Venezuela, those people that DeSantis sent to Chicago. And so that, that's my point. And look, how many senators or how many people in government can you think of that are Cuban-American that are Democrats? I bet you can't name me one. Hmm. I could name you two right off. I could name you two right off the bat, Cruz and Rubio. And wait, I can name you more, come to think of it. And it's all Florida. 
uh, Eliana Ross, Latham, she retired because why? Because as soon as Trump got in there, she has a child or a boy that I believe is, uh, tra- I, I don't know what he is, but he's, put it this way, he's, he's not, you know, yeah. let's say, in Trump's world. <laughs> so, she quit, so, so she quit right away. And another little gang I, of, of... I got Roosevelt, I have to cut you off. Cause I, can, we, can we put this up tomorrow? Because I've got to run, turn the station over to the next show. I, I apologize, Roosevelt. But yeah, I, I agree with you on so many of these points. Uh, and it's something we can discuss uh, at, at, at another time. Have a great night, Roosevelt. You too, you too. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. I hate cutting people off, but I gotta go. It's not my turn anymore. Devil's Advocates up next with Mike Crute. Bye, everybody.